You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Now here's Pastor Sean. Hey, good morning, good morning, River. Happy 2020. Hey, Gary, good morning. Come on in, my friend. Come on in. What jersey are you wearing this morning, Gary? Titan. Oh, my soul. Wow. All the football fans know that I'm just in my heart. Hey, did you guys fix my, I'm sounding like I'm in a can back there. The audio is a little wonky to me. So, hey, hope you are doing well in the new year. And it's good to see you guys back with the holidays. People have been coming and going and shuffling the deck and probably still a little bit shuffle, but uh, we'll settle down in a little bit. But uh, that video is a great reminder to us of a couple of things. You know, we all have uh, good intentions. We all have plans and aspirations, things that we want to do. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. We all know that it's hard to, you know, to pursue and kind of endure and continue in those. So certainly want to continue in that. But it's a reminder to us that really the lasting change that we really want in life are the changes that God does inside of us. Now, we don't just lay around, you know, and God kind of wave his magic wand over us. He expects us to kind of lean into it and put some equity and some effort and sweat into it. But, you know, as a church, we're about life change. And those are the changes, the transformation that God does inside of us. And he works and he he, uh, changes our attitudes, our thoughts, even our feelings over time. And, uh, and that's what God wants to do when we come to know Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And we follow him as he progressively changes us. So I don't know what your prayer for 2020 is, but my prayer for you and for us as a church is that we would grow to know him more, that we would experience more of his grace, more of his change, and would live that out in our lives. So I certainly want to wish that to you. Well, we, are, we have a couple more weeks that we are still looking about at, at, G, at God sending his son Jesus as our king. And uh, if there's any big thing that we should realize is, is that there's really more to the story than just what happened in that stable, you know, that particular day when our Lord Jesus was born and bought forth in swaddling cloths and clothes and laid in that manger. And Luke is the historian that he was. He's writing a, a, a book and he's, he's doing all the research and he's talking to all the eyewitnesses as a reporter. And he's making a careful attention of the historical account so that uh, his friend Theophilus, and then really ultimately you and me as well, gener- years and generations later, that we can look back and say, we know for sure. We know for certainty what happened. These are not, you know, this is not Cinderella that happened in some far, far away land. This is not some make-believe story. These are real people, real events, real situations, little details that, that we hear all the way through. And there's just so many things. And it's obvious to me that God wants the world to know about his son, that he was just so careful that when Jesus came, that, you know, that he announced his birth, not only to Mary, but uh, that he announced it to the shepherds and the shepherds announced it, you know, throughout the community. And, um, and it's not just about Jesus, it's about John and all of that. So anyway, so this morning, we're going to look at, a, at two more people that God used in that, 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 those stories to help announce, to, to advertise, if you will, the coming of his son, Jesus. 
This morning we're going to look at when Jesus, the first time he goes into the temple, maybe the first time he goes to church, he's a newborn, just days old, and while his parents are there, uh, they are making a sacrifice to the Lord and the Jewish law. Uh, women who gave birth were considered ceremonially unclean. It was a picture again of all of our needs for redemption. And so Joseph and Mary were there sacrificing two, two doves, two pigeons, which is a sign of extreme poverty that Jesus was born into. The, the law said if you, once uh, that you had that baby, that you should bring a lamb to be sacrificed in a dove. But if you basically didn't have enough money and you were poor, then you could sacrifice two of those. So Jesus is getting named. He's getting presented at the temple. And it was customary for the priest to, you know, to utter a blessing over that new child and over that new life born in this world. But while Jesus and Mary and Joseph are there at the temple, two people come in and make some amazing announcements by Jesus or about Jesus. And that's where we pick up the story in Luke chapter 2. So read with me if you would. In Luke chapter 2, we're going to pick it up in verse 25. It'll be on the screen if you don't have your phone or Bible open. So the Bible says this. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. In other words, he was anticipating and, and looking for the, the coming, the, the consummation, the completion of all of the, the hope that God had promised in the Old Testament. He was waiting for God's Savior to, to arrive upon the scene. So he was just a tremendous level of anticipation, waiting for that, that, that encouragement, that, that consolation. And the Bible also says about him in verse 25, and the Holy Spirit was upon him, was, was settled upon him. He was a man who knew how to walk with God, we would say. And in verse 26, And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, that was all the stuff I was talking about, the sacrifices, the naming, he'd be circumcised. Jewish law said if you were a boy, you need to be circumcised on the eighth day. So parents brought him in to do all of that according to the custom of the law. And here Simeon is, he took him up into his arms, took up baby Jesus into his arms, and he blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. You know, ladies, how would you like to have been at the hospital and you know, delivered a kid and, you know, finally push out or cesarean, whatever, and your child, and you're just like mated. And then, you know, some nurse or maybe the hospital chaplain comes along and makes a pronouncement like this over your kid. You would be like, what? Oh, my goodness, in the world. You know, you would be kind of taken aback by that, quite honestly. And I can imagine Mary and Joseph were quite surprised at that. So they marveled. In verse 34, Simeon blessed them. He blessed the parents. And he turns and he said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, 
so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Second person comes in. Their mom and dad, Joseph and Mary, are processing all of that. And I'm not sure that was exciting to Mary, a prediction that, that Simeon says a sword, not a little rapier, but think like a Roman broadsword is going to pierce right into your own soul, Mary, as well in the process of this. Verse 36, the Bible says this, And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. It sounds like she was married for seven years, probably got married young, husband died, and now she's 84 years old, so she would have been a widow for almost maybe over 50 years, you know, depending on when she actually got married, which is the Bible, if you pay attention to Simeon and Anna, are kind of giving us their credentials of just she was a godly woman who served God. In fact, we'll see here in verse, uh, later in verse 37, she did not depart from the temple, worshiping, fasting, and praying night and day. She practically lived there. <laughs> the priest could have probably charged her room and board for as long as she stayed. So these two godly people. So Anna is there, uh, spent her whole life dedicated in worshiping and praying and fasting uh, before God on behalf of God's people. And in verse 38, and coming up at that very hour, she just by coincidence happened to be coming, if you will. She began to give thanks to God and to speak of Him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Israel. Anna too was looking and waiting with her eyes open and there were others there looking for the hope, looking for the, the light and the salvation that God would finally uh, accomplish his wonderful plan of redemption to make the way, the, the, remove the sin between people and himself and so that people could have a relationship with him and remove the guilt, remove the punishment, remove the shame, remove all of that and, and pour out his blessing upon his people. So as Jesus came, not only were there was there a star, you know, a couple of years probably after this event, not only were there angels in the sky making this proclamation, but there were people declaring what God was up to in the world around them. So this morning I want to share with you as we celebrate the Lord's Supper in just a little bit, very appropriate as we think about our Lord's coming because it was for this reason He came. He came to die. He came to die and rise again. I want to share with you three things that God was trying to communicate through the messages, especially of Simeon, but really Anna as well. Three things that the coming of Jesus that he wanted us to, to know. So first thing I want you to recognize is that, that God wanted the world to know globally. Look, God wanted the world to know globally. Look at verse 30. Verse 30. Um, the Bible says when, when Simeon there, he takes Jesus into his arms and as he's looking at Jesus, he says, My eyes have seen your salvation. He's praying to God. He says, Lord, now I can depart. Now I can leave. My mission is accomplished. My job on this earth is done because I've seen your salvation. He could have gone and said, I've held him in my arms. We talked about that salvation last week, so I won't go into detail about that, but the salvation that Jesus would bring through redeeming us from our sins, buying us back, that would give us God's righteousness, that God was remembering His covenant, that, that in the process that God was forgiving, remitting, 
sending our sins uh, away, if you will. But what I want you to notice is that salvation, Jesus was not just salvation, but in verse 32, he was also a light for revelation to the Gentiles. It was a salvation that God had prepared for all peoples, and he was a light that would be revealed for revelation to the Gentiles. What what God speaks through Simeon was nothing short of astounding. That is, God was bringing his son Jesus, that he would be a savior, not just for the Jewish people, not just for those in Jerusalem, but also for the, the Jewish nation that had been dispersed throughout the world at that time, but that Jesus would be the Messiah, the, the light, the Savior for the, the whole world. There were only two types of people in the world at that time. You were either Jew or you were Gentile, everybody else, right? Just one or the other. So what God is saying is that, that His Son Jesus, that He wanted the world to know about Him. He wanted to provide that salvation for the world. Now, Jesus was called the light. Later on, Jesus embraced that. He said in, in John chapter 8, He said, I am the light. He says, I'm the light in, of the world, and whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. Regularly, John tells us that Jesus is the light. In John chapter 12, the Bible says this. Jesus says this. He says, I've come into the world as a light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. You see, the world around is, is in darkness, not just physical darkness, but in moral and spiritual darkness. To the, to the non-Jewish world, they were clueless about anticipating a Messiah. They had no clue about really who the God of heaven was. They, they had no idea about really what uh, needed to happen for people to be forgiven of their sins. They were absolutely living in complete darkness. They were clueless, we might say. They didn't know what they didn't know. So as Jesus came to this earth, He came to be a, a light to shed his, his purifying, illuminating light for salvation and a relationship with God to the whole known world. I don't know if you know this, but light not only reveals things, and we know that, so, so they were clueless about their own sin, about who God was, about the way of salvation. Have you ever tripped and stumbled in the dark in your own home? Uh, I'm convinced if I lived by myself, I could walk through my house with the lights completely off. I don't know why, but to this day, I still, if I get up in the middle of the night, I don't turn lights on. I just almost psychotically think I ought to be able to navigate my way to eight, from point A to point B. But because I live with lots of other people and other animals along the way, there's always some obstacles that my feet, my toe manages to find out, right? You know, you don't see things when you're in the dark. It's just you stumble, you trip, you fall, you get hurt, you make mistakes, uh, and it can ultimately end up killing you. But light is not just illuminating. Light also has a way of purifying. My understanding is one of the best ways to, to kill bacteria, even still to this day, is through UV light. In fact, water systems all over the state have UV systems to kill the bacteria that's in the water. It's better than, than other systems that are out there. So Jesus came as a, an illuminating, purifying impact on a culture and a world that was morally and spiritually bankrupt and, and full of decay. He came... To, to save a world that was lost. For you and for me, that means that God still wants to use us to illuminate and help the world to know about Jesus. 
I mean, get the picture. God made sure there was going to be a baby born, not talking about Jesus, but about John, that would be able, the one who would be able to announce and kind of pave the way before Jesus came. He needed a, 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 a someone that would help the world wrap their mind and heart around who Jesus really was and what they needed. So God sent John the Baptist born as a miracle baby. He could have sent a normal kid, a regular kid, but he did it, he did it in a way that drew attention, that people take notice, I'm up to something. And then he, he sends Mary, and he sends an angel Gabriel to make the announcement to her. And he announces it later, and we find out, and Matthew tells Joseph, because Joseph was nervous about her pregnancy, as we all would have been. And then he announces it to the shepherds through the angels. But from that point forward, the shepherds go and tell the community. And now we just read that God wanted even his people Israel, like everybody gather around, pay attention. The Messiah is here. And from that point forward, then to John the Baptist who grows up and shares and as Jesus starts his ministry, and then the apostles that Jesus gathers continue to announce, and that continues on his disciples all the way down through God's done using angels to announce His way of salvation. God's done using stars to announce His salvation. God uses ordinary average people like you and me to continue to spread His message about His Son Jesus. The world still needs to hear. Someone recently shared with me how they grew up and as an adult they you know, grew up going to church and you know, hearing about the things of God, but never really heard how to know Jesus, kind of the, the, the crux of that issue. Sometimes as Christians, we make that mistake. We talk all around it, and we don't ever share the point of it, if you will. Look, God loves you, but you have sinned. Jesus died for that sin. And until you admit that, and until you're willing to turn your back on that and surrender your life to Jesus, you really don't know Him. But He wants you to, so would you just do that? Turn from that sin, trust Jesus who died for you and rose again. No one had ever shared that with this person. Even though she had been around Christians, been around church people most of her life until finally just reading the Bible. Now I understand. It makes sense. Most of us in this room have people that we know that we come in contact with regularly that would be willing to listen, be willing to hear, if they heard that from a credible source, from a person who wasn't obnoxious, wasn't being a jerk, and you were really nice people, nobody in this room is obnoxious, right? Especially me, right? No obnoxious people. We should post that on the door. You know how it's cool for some churches, like no perfect people allowed? We should put on our door, no obnoxious people allowed. Like, we don't want any of those. I'm kidding. I'm playing with you guys. I like to have fun uh, at your expense. Uh, so, but uh, as long as... What people are, many, most of you have people in your life that you know or come in contact with that as long as it's coming from somebody that they think is reasonably normal, rational, seems like they have life put together, is not being judgmental, not being obnoxious, not being a jerk, they'd be willing to listen at least to your story, what God's done in your life, and to how to be introduced to that in their life. Most people would be willing to do that. Most. See, you and I are like advertisements for God. Even to this day, the best, best advertisement, what is word of mouth? I, you know, all these ads pop up online, and you got to watch this and see it on TV. 
I guess that influences me to buy stuff, but I can, can I tell you that 99% of those ads I see, I never buy their stuff. Doesn't influence me that much, you know? But what, what would be more likely to influence me? If I'm thinking about buying a car and one of the three or four or five I'm thinking about happens to be a car you're driving, I might come up to you, hey, how do you like that car? How has it been? Has it been a good car? You like it? What do you not like about it? You know what? I'm getting, a, I'm getting the testimony of a satisfied customer. See, you and I walk around or to walk around this earth like satisfied customers who know what God has done for us, grateful for that, live with authenticity enough that we don't need to go around and, you know, be obnoxious. You don't need to take a megaphone into your workplace tomorrow, you know, to, to announce to the world, and neither do you feel, need to feel guilty for not doing that. That's not what God wants you to do. But what he does want you to do is to be a satisfied customer, to live with such a love for Jesus that you can't help but talking about him. And as those that are come across your bow and across your world and are as a part of that, as you pray for them, as you connect with them, that you speak in God's behalf of what, what God has done in your life and in your world. It's significant. Anna, here's Anna and Simeon, late in life. Late in life. Get that picture. Retirement has long since set in. Most of us will be saying, well, what do I need to do now? You know, besides play golf or mow my lawn or, you know, have perfect flowers or wash my car or whatever your bucket list might be to travel or whatever. But their, their purpose in that moment was they lived a life out of such devotion before God that they were so in tune with God that God revealed His future plans to them and God used them to announce, not only them, but announced to today to the world about what the salvation that God was up to. That's a, by the way, there's a wonderful lesson in there for all of us as we get older and we think about retirement, that God always has plans for you, but you find those purpose and plans out of a deep devotion and walk with God, not out of something you got to you know, go figure or read a blog out of or you know, plan together, but out of that relationship with God, they were useful beyond belief to God. So here at River, there's three ways that you really can, can be that satisfied customer to those around you. One I've been kind of alluding to and talking about is, is one is just living that out in your normal everyday life, whether you're getting your, your hair done, whether you're at the grocery store, whether you're, um, I don't care, even if you're at or the price, is it price chopper, they do in Walmart now, like where you can go and buy the stuff, they bring it to your car. I'm a little old school, and maybe I've got too much time on my hands, but I'm like, I'm not going to have somebody else do my shopping. I know what I want. I'll just go and get it. My wife's probably like, heck, yeah, I'll do that all day long. But So you, you know who does the shopping after hearing that comment. But even them, you can share a little something along that way. Not weird, not obnoxious, but you can think enough about that to figure that out. Second way is I put in the email that I sent out to, to us as a church is on the 19th, is uh, a worship service is being held in Albany for Engage Albany. You guys, we've brought Sean Nolan here. He's a church planner in Albany and is a church that we're at, a church plant that we're actually beginning to support financially. Bottom line is, is we want to see churches started because new churches tend to see new people trust Christ. They actually see more people trust Christ than the more established older churches. I don't know why it is. It's just something about new locations, fresh and new, different this or that. And it just sees that. 
And just like there are a bunch of people that have trusted Christ in Gilderland after River of Life got started, you know, 10 years or so ago or whatever that was, we expect in Albany that there will be more. Are there people in Albany that need Jesus? Absolutely. There's still people in Gilderland that need Jesus. There's people where you work and wherever you live. Many of you don't live in Gilderland, but we want to help that church get started. So small little thing that you could do if you want to help be a satisfied customer is on the 19th, it's 5 o'clock on a Sunday night, is to join us with their worship service and go encourage them. Now, I don't think we need to send 50 people down there because that would be obnoxious and rude, but I could use 10 or 12 of you guys to carpool and go with me to just encourage them. He actually asked, Sean asked, if, if it were possible if we had three or four people that could watch kids and and I said, well, as long as they're, you know, background checked with our system, you know, I'll let you know. So if you want to help a new church to share the gospel and encourage them to be there, you, you, it was what they're trying to do is this. They're trying to talk to new people to come to church. But think about it. If you're a new person and come to church and you're the only one sitting there, are you ever going to go back? You're not. It helps to know there's other people there. So those other people there can be us, <laughs> right, for this month. So... So if you're interested, let me know. Third area that we can do it, not just your own community, helping another church get started, even just simply going there and worshiping with them. My hope is that some people out of River will actually join in with them and say, we want to help be a part of that church get started. Many people helped River get started. Um, some, a few are here, still here today, many are not. And praise God and thank God for that. So if you ever like anything good out of River of Life, we should all thank them for the the faithfulness and the efforts and the things that they've done uh, to help make this possible, and we want to see that again. The third area is, is internationally. We want to send people, not just to other churches and help other ministries and share the gospel in those locations or whatever you're doing in your world, whether it's on campus or work or where you live, but we want to send people internationally. Uh, my prayer is that we would have people called uh, permanently, long-term, if you will, to missions, but even if not, that people would go temporarily. We have a small group of people now going to Guatemala next month. I'm excited about that. And you'll hear a little bit more. In fact, before they go, we'll pray for them and send them out. And uh, our students go regularly to, to, um, to East Asia and some other places that have been like the Middle East. But we as a church want to do that. We've gone to Mexico for several years working among the, the Nahuatl people, a, a very... Uh, they have a very small percentage of them that know Christ. They're kind of the Native Americans of Mexico, if you will. They were there before the Spanish uh, conquerors and all of that. If, if you have not been on a mission trip through, uh, through River, but are internationally, I'm thinking, but are interested in the next couple of years, this is not signing your life away. Oh, I'm not going to put my hand up there because then Sean's going to be like all over me when I go. But if you're at all you know, somewhat interested in that, would you stick your hand up? It would help me to know... Like, should we prioritize that or not? Okay, there's enough of you that I would say we ought to think about doing that. So three ways. God took the time to send his son, announce to the world, and he still wants to announce it, and he does it through us. So you guys are investing in lives and ministry and encourages me, but let me move on to the second point. So not only did God want Simeon, the world, to know globally that he was sending his son, but he wanted his people to know personally. Look at the bottom second half of verse 32. Jesus was sent, that salvation was a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. This is significant, or it's a significant difference. Don't miss this. The world needed their eyes to be unveiled. They needed the revelation and the light. Israel didn't. 
They just needed to see God's glory. They had already been taught and trained in and that God had been revealing and explaining to them for generations, for hundreds of years. But the coming of Jesus, the Messiah to them, was just as meaningful. It was a salvation that was coming and was being consummated. But for them, it, it wasn't just revelation. They were getting a more personal, intimate view of the glory of Almighty God in their midst. They were seeing the glory of God around them. Does life ever get dull and mundane for you? If it does, put your hand up. Okay. Some, sometimes we want dull and mundane, right? Sometimes dull and mundane, when things are crazy, we're like, a little dull and normalcy would be kind of nice. But then sometimes we're like, wow, this is just really dull and mundane and what are we doing and what's going on and you know that you kind of get in those worlds too and that's not much better in fact in some ways that's worse you're you're like it's creating a crisis in and of itself for you and for me god wants us to see his glory and god's glory is best revealed in his salvation god's glory is not best revealed in doing miracles today that's cool when they're there and God has done those. But that's really not God's glory. God's glory is revealed through His salvation. In fact, this morning as we participate in the Lord's Supper, it's meant to be a, an, an act that we do. This is not something, there's nothing magical about these elements that somehow washes away internal sin. doesn't do that at all. Instead, it's meant to remind us and to help us to focus on God's glory. See, for those of us that know Jesus, we stand in the same place that the Jews did then. We know the story. We know what God has done through His Son, Jesus. We know we're forgiven. But God wants us to regularly experience and see that glory, to, to experience the depth of who He is. I like to look at beautiful things. I'm, I'm not a big art lover. I'll be, just be honest. I was talking today, you know, and... When I was younger and people say, oh, look at this great art and everything. So you may be an art lover. Forgive me if you are. But, you know, I, if you look at some of Picasso's paintings, I'm just like, seriously? Seriously? And I, you know, I was younger. I'm like, okay, I just obviously don't know. I'm clueless. I'm not an artist. But I'm just at a point. I'm like, yeah, no, I, no, no. Bananas and duct tape to the wall is not art to me. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you are like, what? Yeah. And eating it is not art either. Like, I don't know, you know, what did the guy pay? Like $100,000 for a banana duct taped to the wall as art, right? Wasn't it like that? Something insane. It's crazy. Absolutely ridiculous. That is not art. So for me, looking at beautiful things, I tend to go to nature. I like to look at sunsets. I look to like to look at mountains and views. I like to I like to look at butterflies up close. I'm amazed at, at wildlife and animals. And I, I just, I look at it, I'm just astounded at the world that our God is, has created. We like to look at beautiful things. There's nothing more beautiful or glorious in this world. So I don't care what your thing is. If it's art, if it's music, amazing music out there. I do like music. I'm not good at it. You might even think my taste in music's terrible, but that's the beauty, right? Beauty's in the eye of the beholder or in the ear of the ignorant or whatever you want to say. It's just, you know, but whatever your thing is, here's the deal. Jesus coming, living a perfect life, 
dying on the cross, rising again, and God in heaven of forgiving you of all of your sins and all of that being placed on His Son Jesus is the most beautiful thing in this world that you will ever see. It's the most amazing thing in this world you will ever experience, the most amazing thing you should ever feel, the most wonderful voice or words that should ever come into your ears, the most incredible thoughts into your heart. It's glorious. And if, and if it's not glorious to us, then that's not on God. Somehow we've become tone deaf or we've gotten used to it at the sunset and we're stopping and we're so busy or whatever. And what God wants us to do this morning as we celebrate this supper in just a minute is to stop in our tracks, 2020 or not, drone strikes or not, economies or not, kitchen remodelings or not, that we stop and we say, God, you are so glorious. God, you're amazing. I'm going to challenge you this morning, if you know the Lord Jesus, is to be breathless and amazed and what God has done for you, to you, the God of the universe sent His Son to die just for you so that you could be forgiven and have hope, have life, have light, and to experience what He has desired for all of you and to live that your entire life. And then when you die, it only gets better that we live on without any sin, without any failures, without any mistakes, without any falling back in our junk. That is glorious, truly amazing. Third thing that Simeon wanted us to know, not just for the, the world to know globally about that salvation, about his son, wanted his people to know personally, intimately, to resonate and take all of that in, but he wanted sinners to know internally. Notice what Simeon says to Mary. I kind of would like to know what Mary thought about this, but... There's a little bit of indication here that Joseph wasn't going to be around. He doesn't say this to Mary, to Joseph. He says it to Mary. He says this in verse 34. He says, Behold, pay attention, look at this. This child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. In other words, many will oppose Jesus. He's coming up to be a... Uh, something that the world will notice, and some are going to be opposed to it. Some are going to fall initially. In other words, they're going to trip up morally and sinfully and realize oh, and be humbled before God. But then through the process, God will save them from their sin and they will rise. Some will experience that. Some will experience opposition. And he says parenthetically, within parentheses, Mary's sword is going to pierce you also. And here's why all of this is going on, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. I, I personally think that what he's talking about here with Mary is not that just Mary's soul is going to be pierced by hearing, watching her son die, but he's saying to Mary, Mary, you also are going to be challenged in your soul. You're going to be called to a point of decision. You're a sinner, Mary, too. And you're going to struggle over your own son, that he's coming to, to make a stake in this world. And your own thoughts are going to be revealed. 
And it's going to be challenging to you, Mary. In fact, later on, there's a time where Jesus is ministering and serving that the Bible says that mother, uh, uh, some of his disciples come to him and says, your mom and your brothers are out here. In other words, they weren't too happy with the ministry that Jesus was doing. Mary wasn't really down with it for a while. Um, she didn't really, apparently had some questions or concerns. But what I want you to fixate and to notice is that God sent Jesus to reveal the thoughts of many. You see, our thoughts of our heart are hidden. They lay buried. They're buried underneath a lot of things. They're buried underneath our emotions. Um, our emotions are more surface, and we react to them, and that's and we don't we feel almost at times like we're controlled by our emotions, but what we don't realize is, is our thinking and our thoughts and our expectations underneath those actually are giving rise to them. They're giving fruit to them. And when Jesus came, what the Bible says is that God intentionally is sending a son to this earth so that our, the depths of our hearts might be revealed to us, not to the world around us, but to us. And when that begins happening, we don't like it very much. It's difficult. We're repulsed by it. We want to hide from it. We want to, want to run from it. Think about it. Think about it like it this way. Have you ever unclogged a plug drain, plug pipe? I don't mean just dump some drain in it and, you know, whatever you got to do, let the water and all that. I mean, you got to like go in after it. You know what I mean? Is it a pleasant experience? It's not. You ever see what comes out of a plug drain? It's nasty. I mean, it's hazmat materials. Anybody who works in a hospital knows anything about microbiology and immunology and all of that, they're like, I'm not going anywhere near that stuff because the bacteria and the viruses and the nasties that are in there, you know, on top of what I can just see with my own eyes, it's repulsive. Here's the deal. We resemble our pipes more than we want to admit. We look good and okay on the outside. We're nice and shiny. The faucet looks good. The drain's clean. The sink's clean. Most of the time, unless the toothpaste is stuck in it, right? But inside those pipes, it's not so good. And God sent Jesus to reveal what's on the inside. Not to rub our nose in it, make fun of us, be a jerk to us. He, in fact, he later on tells us, I didn't come to condemn the world. I'm not even coming to condemn you because of that. I came to save you out of that stuff. Your condemnation is going to come later. My words, you know, God's words are there. I'm coming to save you out of that. So, so for sinners to really get to know who Jesus is, here's where I'm driving at and what Jesus is driving at. You and I have to be willing to be uncomfortable you and I have to be willing for God to challenge us down into the depths of our soul, and it will touch our emotions as well as our thinking and all of that. You remember when Jesus uh, was with Peter and he told the, those guys, after he had just been speaking at the Sea of Galilee, he said, cast your nets out, right? And they go out fishing and they catch all these fish, and Peter's amazed and and in that moment, he got a glimpse of who Jesus really was. Not just some amazing teacher, but he saw him as the Son of God. And he says, get away from me, Lord. Leave me, for I'm a sinner. I'm unclean. 
Peter felt his thoughts revealed. He, the depths of his soul was revealed to him. He saw his sin. He saw the inside of his pipes all nasty in his heart and his, all of the motivations in his soul against the holiness of Jesus. And it affected him emotionally. It affected, it affected him ultimately even physically. He's like, you know, I mean, you get the picture. He's like, Lord, I need to get away from you. Here's the thing. For some of you who haven't really surrendered your life to Jesus yet, you're at risk of wanting to reject feeling bad or dealing with some of that stuff. It's messy. But you go in after the junk in your pipes. Why? Because if you don't, you got no more sink. Like it's gross. You got it. Somebody's got to do it. And since you live there, you get paid the big bucks. Congratulations. It's your job, right? So for some of you, and you, you don't want to go down that road. It's painful. It's difficult. We want to, we want to hide and play the blame game. We want to make excuses, and we don't want to face the realities. We just, we would rather stay where we are. But what God's telling us is, guys, there's no hope for us unless we're willing to accept responsibility and wade in and allow God, allow Jesus to reveal that stuff to us so that He then, we can own up to it, the sins and the the lies and the, the wrong things we've, we're thinking, our bad motivations, our wrong intentions, our attitudes, even our feelings that just should not be there, whether it's anger or fear or jealousy or any of that stuff. Because God wants, once that's revealed, then we can see it, take responsibility, and allow Him to clean up the mess and forgive us and, and move us out of that. That's what Jesus came to do. The world most often rejects Jesus because they don't want to deal with this stuff. They have intellectual excuses. Well, what about this? What about that? And what about that? But they're just, they're dealing with surface stuff. What they're really dealing with underneath is their, their sin. So I want to challenge you this morning. If you've never really allowed God to clean your pipes out, shall we say, I want to challenge you that God's doing it because He loves you and He's confronting you. Well, God's not confronting me. I'm just, you know, I'm in this problem with this person and this person and all of that. No, that's God bringing all of that to your mind and showing you. Like, no, you need to deal with some of this stuff. God is, God is actually blessing you in the middle of your crises or your relational difficulties or whatever. God uses many things to clean our pipes out. One of the ones that we don't think about and we don't like is marriage. Yeah, for real. When you live with someone and you're married to someone and they're a sinner and you're a sinner, you got two clogged pipes <laughs> at the same time and the water doesn't go down very well. And what God is doing is, is he's put you in a relationship that you are not supposed to get out of. You can't run from, you can't hide. And he's using your spouse to chip away at some of your clogged pipes. And he's doing it because he loves you. So your marriage and relationships, not about just you being happy and all fulfilled and having, you know, a, a wonderful life together. 
God really cares more about your holiness. And so I want you and me to be willing to see that what God is doing is, is putting us in, in those kinds of relationships with people that see us for who we are, not our public image. Not, you know, there's like two, three or four levels, not even like our social media image, not even like our public image around friends, but our, just our real honest to goodness, how, who we are and who, how we function so that those things are there and we can't ignore them. Instead, we want to blame the other person and we want to find excuses and scapegoats. And we can't. I'll tell you how this plays out. I'll give you an easy, a safe example for me. I went with a hike, and I'll be done after this. I went for, uh, our family went for a hike on New Year's Day. And uh, uh, we drove up north and ended up where we went. It wasn't like coated with ice. It was kind of it was snow and that kind of thing. We were going to hike into a lean-to about two and a half miles or so in and uh, brought, you know, warm clothes. I thought this will be great, you know, pretty view. It'll be a fun time to go out and brought a little, couple little stoves and make some hot chocolate, heat up a hot lunch. It would just be great to get out. It was. It, well, it should have been. <laughs> That's the story. So we're hiking a long way. The snow gets deep. And it's honestly, it's just like we're getting tired. And, it, and I kept telling them, I'm like, no, this doesn't go up. We're just kind of flat. We're going into this little lake and no big deal. But this was kind of starting to go up. And I'm just, everybody's like making fun of me, you know, like, oh, I thought you said it was going to be flat, Dad, you know. And I'm like, oh, it'll be good. We're almost, we'll be there. Hey, we're just on the other side of this hill, you know. And I'm, and after about two and a half hours later, I'm just like, this is not, something's not right, you know. And it got to the point where I said, 12 more minutes, we're turning around because we would have been hiking like three hours and it was one o'clock. And I'm like, it gets dark at 430 and I just, I don't like to push it. And then uh, my son said, hey, Dad, uh, I think we're on the wrong trail. And he was right. And I thought, oh, what a rookie mistake. I cannot believe I did that. And I got, you know what my reaction was? I don't know if they saw it. They may have picked up on it because they know me, obviously. But I got mad. I was mad at myself. I was, I was mad. I didn't want to hear that we had just spent two and a half hours walking and we were tired. And it just, you know, and we lost all of that. And, and we weren't really lost, right, guys? You never get lost. You just get temp temporarily turned around. So we, we knew how to get back and all of that. But I, I was mad because it ruined what I wanted to do. I knew we weren't going to have a nice lunch together. I knew we weren't going to have hot chocolate. We were tired. I have a history of more than once or twice getting my family in over their head. I felt like I had let them down. I felt like I had ruined it all. And I got mad. If I'm being really honest with you, I wanted to find somebody else I could blame because I didn't want to be responsible for it. We do this all the time in an instant millisecond in our conversations and our relationships. And we just, we turned around and started hiking back. But you know what got rid of my anger? I realized, you know what? This was still pretty fun. Like, this didn't ruin it. Like, this is beautiful. It, was, it had snowed. It was just stunningly beautiful. We were the first ones on the trail. And this was a great experience. And began realizing, like, you know what? This wasn't so bad. And, and I just had over-eager expectations and all of that. And my anger went away. You know what went on? My thinking was giving rise to my emotion. My expectation and all of my thoughts and all of that, was that anger productive? No. Was it sin? The answer is yes. 
If your anger is not productive and holy toward a good means, it's destructive, even internally for you, and it's sin. To fix it, I had to get to my thinking and get to that point. What Jesus does, guys, for us as Christians is he reveals to us not just the emotional level. You do a study in Scripture, the Bible regularly talks about the emotional level being sin, but he actually reveals to us the thinking of our heart because he loves us, and that's where life change really happens. So, folks, if you really want God to change your life, Jesus is the one you need. He's the one that changes all that junk that cleans your pipes out. So I don't know what you needed to hear this morning. Maybe you needed your personal pipes cleared out. I don't know. Maybe God, was con God has been dealing with your heart. You've been resistant. Be careful because our heart is a spiritual organ. And the Bible says it can be hardened. And when our heart is hardened before God, we just don't want to deal with it. There's no hope for us. It's like capping the pipe and nothing can get down in to bring health and healing. But when we soften our heart before God and allow God to work, it doesn't really feel good initially. Because we discover things about ourselves that we don't like, that we don't want to face. And we have to admit that, well, that anger was mine. That was my fault. And all of this is me. But maybe God is just trying this morning to help you to bravely allow Him to take that cover off and to get down in and to reveal your thoughts to you. And when that comes up and you feel so bad in the middle of it, say, Lord Jesus, would you forgive me and would you clean that up? And he will so tenderly and graciously, forthrightly, like a nurse. Sorry, you're getting a shot, dude. Psh, ready? Psh, you know, they hit you and you don't give you a chance. Sometimes God does that too. But he will work through all of that junk if you'll allow him. Maybe you needed to hear that God wants to use you to maybe help encourage you or to pray for it or engage some people in your life. Maybe he wants you to go to Albany and help start a church there or maybe to go internationally. But whatever God is speaking into you this morning, our worship team is going to come up. This is time for you to respond to him for that. It's a time for you to sit at the feet of God and to think about the glory of what he's done for you and sending his son Jesus um, to die on the cross for our sins. So as I pray also, I'm going to ask my ushers to come up, and uh, after I pray, they're going to pass out the elements, and we're going to, we're going to celebrate our, our Lord's table together. So pray with me, would you? Father, thank you for the Lord Jesus who died for us. Thank you that he rose again. God, thank you that you cared enough to tell the whole world about your Son, to provide that salvation, to reveal your glory to us, and not only to reveal your glory to us, but to reveal to us the stuff that we don't want to deal with down in our heart. God, I pray that you would help people to bravely face that, knowing that you will forgive it, and clean it up, wash it away, cover it, remove all of the junk. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Visit us on Sundays at 10 a.m. or online at riveralbany.com.